Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome. It's your Managing Madrid podcast. It's your host, Gabe Lesnar, and I'm joined by Keon Sobani. Keon, um, just did you know today Real Madrid won the EuroLeague basketball tournament? Gambionish, 10-time EuroLeague champion. La decima. <laughs> La decima for basketball. It's awesome. And our boy uh, won the MVP. Yeah, and Real Madrid star uh, Luka Doncic, uh, who is actually incredible won the MVP and the Rising Star Award, which is an incredibly funny combination in my view of two awards. If if you're winning the MVP, you're probably already a, a star. You haven't risen, but whatever. Um yeah, Real Madrid, ten time Euro League champions beating out Fenerbahce eighty to eighty five uh, eighty five to eighty. Um Luka Doncic is playing an absolutely integral role. Fenerbahce plays a very slow game, so they like to do half court, you know, just basically play in the half court set. And even in that set, which is not his absolute forte, like he he's very good in transition, which is why, and we'll get to this, he's probably going to be number one pick overall in the NBA draft. Luka Doncic still in a chippy game with lots of fouls, very high shooting percentage, 15 points on eight shots total. A bunch of assists. Um, he's he's incredible, Keon, and Real Madrid are going to be very much the poorer for his his departure. Yeah, and that's the sad reality of if just because the NBA is the highest peak of that sport, it's yeah we're never going to hold on to him for a while. And I mean, this kid is he's a, still a teenager, which is crazy. And uh, you look at the other players on Real Madrid's roster; a lot of them like just former NBA players, and they rule. They're so cool. I love yeah. the combination of players. They're fun. They like Gustavo Ayon, uh, Anthony Randolph. These are awesome old school like good NBA. environment for him because yeah, it's a higher level than the NCAA like. Oh, way higher. Yeah. And that's what people forget with the EuroLeague. Like now, I think maybe when, you know, Darko Milicic went uh, above all, I think it was Mello, like that that whole thing and that whole draft basically uh, was pre this kind of explosion in pay, play from the EuroLeague where they basically said, hey, like old NBA play or not old, but like NBA players who are kind of fringy, maybe on the bench. Uh, why don't you come here and we can start for us? That actually is quite a higher level than the NCAA guy. It's it's amazing. Yeah, he's he's incredible. We are going to be much the poor, but for now, I think we should just celebrate ten times Euro League champions Real Madrid. Fantastic achievement. It's always it's nice to see the basketball team achieving big things, and hopefully a premonition. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and... titles come too, guys. So that's uh, someone once wrote in uh, uh, a message to me <laughs> and Josh back in the day. I think it was before one of the Champions League finals. They're like, guys. 
titles coming too. The basketball team won their their Liga ACB this year, and it's time for the for the the soccer team to follow. It's like, yeah, I agree. Soccer's coming so, two emojis, two trophy emojis. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I, there's a. Uh, I don't know if this actually happened or not, but apparently. Um, we had a, a group of our, our patrons and, friend, and friends try to convince the Levante Twitter to change that, yeah. their change it. their handle to Levante and then five soccer balls to indicate the goals they scored. I, yeah, to I beat saw it. I saw it and I forgot about it and then I got disappointed in myself for not endorsing it. It was, yeah, it was. It's such a good idea. That mm-hmm. owns and. I mean, we didn't really get to discuss this, Keon. I don't think because I'm not. I don't remember if it had happened yet. I guess it had, but they lost their invincible season to Levante, allowing yeah. Levante to score five goals against them, which is it could not have been better. For, yeah, for Matt and Wiltsy and I talked about it on the podcast that night. I think I don't know where you were. You were off or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Matt and I talked about it, and then Diego and I talked about the next day on Churros Tacticas, and he must be kind of devastated. Yeah, he was not happy. Yeah, uh, yeah. because. Um, I mean, unironically, there was a question that was being fought out between a Manchester United fan, uh, I think fan podcast, and Arsenal fan TV, about, which is my favorite show, about which is uh, which was better and more impressive achievement, Arsenal's invincible season or Manchester United winning the treble. And the obvious answer is the treble. It doesn't matter. Your invincible season is yeah. meaningless compared to the treble. But the fact that that was a question at all is so – it was why, like, we couldn't have let Barcelona do it, and, and they joked it out to Levante. Thank God. Well, it would have made. This is the crazy thing about Barca scene: is it's a double in a vacuum. The double is in crazy, a crazy impressive achievement. But Valverde himself was like, "Look, this kind of like because of what happened in Rome. Like the, this season is just not. It's not that. What? It's not going to be remembered that fondly, even though we won the double. So yeah, the next thing I, they I, had was the invincible season, and then you know." They didn't have that even. Then they arrested Messi for no reason, so it's their fault. Yeah, what's the point? I mean, whatever. I mean, at this point, what Barcelona has managed is is actually an incredible season. The problem is that all of that stuff was wrapped up pretty, like, a few months before the end of the season, and all the end of the season has brought for Barcelona is unhappiness. But, you know... Such as, like, I mean, they had it all wrapped up. It's a great season, and Valverde is still a great coach, I think. But don't really understand the choice to rest Messi when you have the chance to do the invincible season. But um, So Real Madrid uh, played their last La Liga game of the season. This season has mercifully brought to an unpleasant end. Real Madrid will finish third behind Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, who uh, played Abar in the Fernando Torres Goodbye game. Barcelona won their match today against, I think, Real Sociedad with a is that right? With a one goal, one goal from Coutinho in the Iniesta farewell game. So also low that's key sort the, of the Shabby Prieto farewell game, who played one minute oh, and came off the bench in the 89th minute. His last right. game ever. Loved him, man. Yes. He's a great player. Um, yeah. so yeah, but let's talk about Real Madrid because Madrid had a kind of tale of two halves match against a a strong Villarreal side that plays kind of like Liverpool. And I wanted to get to that a little bit. They have a very high press. They like to win the ball back and they break very hard. And um, I think this match, so Madrid drew Villarreal 2-2 after going up 2-0 in the first half, uh, was is quite important going look looking at the final and I think Zidane has a lot of thinking to do about how to improve his defense and you know whatnot. But you know, Madrid played Keon, I think a lineup that you and I have been saying is possible and, and useful for a while, which is the 
um, 4-3-3, but with Bale and Isco. So basically what ended up happening was it became a 4-4-2 um, with, uh, with Isco dropping back and Bale staying up front. Um, yeah, I, I actually – this lineup was surprisingly effective. And assuming that something like this is played, I would be – I'm pretty I'm pretty okay with the effort level that I saw in the first half and and the way that the scheme seemed to contain a team that could pressure high and break fast. So I'm going to almost choose to ignore the second half uh, and just turn a blind eye to it. Not because well it kind of just didn't matter to me and, and neither did this game in, as a whole. Um what I thought that I will say just right off the bat, I think Villarreal de- deserve a lot of credit for the second half performance because as as bad as Real Madrid were, especially defensively, where they couldn't, they just, they got carved. And especially on like the, the first goal conceded by uh, Roger Martinez's brilliant shot, by the way, that was just unstoppable. Right. The build-up to that was great and Real Madrid did little to just, to just try to thwart them. And then uh, the second goal, the offside trap obviously fails. Marcelo keeps uh was a Casillejo onside yep. and um and they they've been good I, I liked what I saw from them. even in the first half I liked what I saw even though they were the second best team in the first half they were some of their offensive sequences are really yeah. good like over the course of the game Pablo Fornals reminds us just why he's going to be so good and um Rodri, they have a lot of lot of extre- extremely exciting young young talent and young talent yeah Rodri in midfield fantastic uh Alvaro at the back Good distribution, solid. So they credit to them. The reason I choose to ignore the second half is because you're up two nothing at halftime, and you're 45 minutes away from the biggest game of the season, and you're in the middle of a game that you feel like you've won, um, which you obviously haven't. But you feel like you you feel a little bit of complacency will kick in, and I feel like that's natural. On the flip side, it also summed up our disastrous league campaign, like a <laughs> symbolic ending to a disastrous. <laughs> just disastrous league title race. Um, but and, I mean, it's, Madrid could have won it in the in sure. towards the end of the match. But the, the I think the most obvious one was Lucas Vazquez got a free volley in the box off a corner kick mm-hmm. that if he puts even remotely on target goes in, and he just missed the target. Benzema had a curler that was blocked out. I mean, it was that second half is is one to forget a little bit. Also, Kian because. I mean, uh, Zidane chose to sub out Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, and I think it was Modric. Ju- literally, ju- or not Bale. So Cristiano Ronaldo, Modric, yeah. and it was um, who Isco, Vasquez, and uh, and Benzema, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Vasquez, Benzema, and then um, Kovacic all came in yeah. as subs pretty early on in the half. So you got the sense that it was time to to you know Cristiano came back. He scored a very beautiful header and. I, I get the sense that he this was just kind of a, a practice <laughs> dry run, and I got to tell you, like I I was I was pleased by the kind of non-effort related things that I saw in the first half. Basically, I because against Liverpool, you would expect, for example, Bale to track back <clears throat> and actually play defense and break with the team and all that stuff. That's why you have him out there because he's such a incredible physical specimen and. He wasn't doing that. He was staying up high, and Isco was taking defensive responsibility, which he does um, more of like a wrecking ball defense than he does a positional defense. But still, he's fun, and it was good to see that effort. Um, but generally, it just felt like the team was only kind of half playing, but really focusing on some of the specific elements that they would need to do to contain Liverpool. 
Yeah, so you brought up the point that this is Villarreal are similar to Liverpool. They are obviously a poor man's Liverpool with all due respect to them. Um, we're playing a team in the Champions League final with a top five player in their roster with a brilliant brilliant coach um, who who has done an amazing job in, in big games generally with the resources he has. And um, maybe he hasn't been very consistent in the league and smaller teams, but you know we know what Klopp is capable of. I mean, we know what his team is capable of. Villarreal mimics some of their things, like, and you, you mentioned why. So I think it was a good warm-up run in that sense. I mean, I suppose you can't really ask for, for a better no. warm-up run, really. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking the yeah. whole first half. Like, it doesn't... I, I was very pleased with the way the team was sort of executing the things that they needed to execute against this Villarreal team to prepare for Liverpool. But, you know, there were... I mean, obviously, there were some effort issues, I think. Modric, in particular, misplacing random, easy passes. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was... I don't think that's the thing that happens in a game where he's fully clued in. Um, Modric you know, always has that one giveaway that's shocking and uncharacteristic, like almost in every game. To in this one, he had like two or three. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, I I felt like in a game where every single player is going to be clued in and running at full full uh, full velocity, the this is a this is a tip, like this Real Madrid will look quite good in this setup. And so, I think we should talk quickly about. Just Zidane's lineup choice. He played what I think could be a potential starting lineup against Liverpool in this match, minus the kind of strange decision to play his son, Luka Zidane, in goal. Mm -hmm. It was, um, you know, like I said, Cristiano, Bale, Isco, uh, Tony Kroos, Luka Modric, Casemiro, and then the back four of the kind of Onte de Gala back four, basically. So it's a fascinating, it was a fascinating lineup. We've said forever, Kian, that Isco and Bale can and should play together. And yeah. I thought they looked good together. I'm a believer in the Isco and Bale togetherness in a in a scheme. <laughs> um, I think it can work. I think it probably requires Benzema to be dropped, which he was. Um, I liked in the first half, I liked the spacing offensively and the fact that it was easy for Real Madrid to build from the back and find outlets because it was always a white shirt on the pitch available um, yeah. in, in almost every aspect of the field, whether it was the half, half spaces, the flanks, the middle of the park, um, vertical passes, supporting supporting runs and all that. There was a lot of great targets all over the pitch, and I thought this lineup provides that. Yeah, um, I also thought that they were clearly like working on that aspect of the game. Like It seemed like one of the things that Zidane must have said going into this match is, look, I need you all to practice, use this game as practice to execute how we play against a high-press and make sure everyone there's someone open on every play. Like make sure you're showing for the ball wherever you are. Find the space and and go there because we need to be able to get out and and effectively evade a press, which I think they did extremely well against Villarreal, they which did, is a, executes a good press a lot of the time. They did it really well in the first half, and uh, yeah. Liverpool. So and, and to me, also another good warning slash wake up call was the game against Bayern over two legs, really. Yeah. Um, where Real Madrid didn't really get control of the ball and they got dominated in terms of possession. So they didn't see much of it, which is fine. You don't, the Real Madrid doesn't, I guess they're not, they're not going to be too bothered if they don't see the ball. But to me, they, they failed to dictate a lot of the flow with which they, they could have done a bit better. But they advanced. And, and one of the things that I noted was Bayern did a really good job pressing. And Real Madrid yeah. did struggle to get out, but there were riddled in these two legs 
a few really, really beautiful passing sequences from the back that that were just pure eye candy. And yeah, I think yeah. if and and you kind of saw some of that against Villarreal. And this is to me, this is real, Liverpool's biggest problem. This is what I think they should be worried about: is that as good as their press is, and it's trust me, it's very good because yeah, it's very good. They take they took Manchester City, who are a very press resistant team, in two games this season. One in the first leg of the Champions League, the other one earlier at Anfield in in the league. Yeah, uh, where City just they just couldn't figure it out. Like they couldn't use Ederson. Ederson Ederson usually has these long balls in his repertoire that can kind of uh, spread the field a bit, and they're pretty accurate. You know, those weren't working. Basically, Liverpool could push City to the fullbacks and then cut off the supply chain to Fernandinho. They they couldn't get out of the back, and they they gave the possession quite a bit. So they're very good in doing that. However, as Roma showed, as City showed in the second leg, they they can be that press can be bypassed, and once it is, there is so much space. In yeah, behind. that's the thing. And Real Madrid is quite good at that, exploiting that particular vulnerability. And if, like, you know, if these passing sequences we see that are are so nice, that if they can pull it off, like between Marcelo and Modric and Kroos, um, and then you get, all of a sudden, you have Bale and Ronaldo in all this open space, that, that is something that I think the team can thrive on. And I think... I like your point. I think this is it was a good test run in in the first half of how to to kind of do that. Uh, I would also add that on the defensive end, this game, Kian, uh, I thought Casemiro was absolutely incredible in the first half, and yeah. I'm not the first to to plug him because I feel like he. I worry a lot with him with the press with with press resistance stuff um, and and vulnerabilities that he may have to that. But I thought he was incredible in this match. I gotta tell you, like that first half especially, he was the one that was everywhere plugging holes and in a you know a team that's breaking out and and trying to get everyone in transition and up. Then suddenly the other team wins the ball, tries to break on you. You have you know you may have a couple numbers, but like their Villarreal was quite good at exploiting space in this match and Casemiro was just incredible <laughs> he was incredible at breaking that down he basically would drop back uh whenever Madrid would break you would see him kind of slow down and just hang out which is exactly what we all want from him to do normally like not what he did in the second half which is as soon as Modric was off the pitch he was like all right I'm gonna play center attacking midfield now like he was actually really good playing what he should be doing which is playing as a defensive midfielder and really just breaking down uh, uh, the passing lanes and, and intercepting balls and doing... I mean, he had a couple of incredible tackles, like the kind of tackle that you'd say in live time, if you don't have a good view, man, is that is that a yellow card? Then suddenly you see what he actually did is he slid in, got the ball away from the guy, kicked the ball you know, first and into the guy's leg, and it goes out of bounds. And it's it was incredible to watch. He, he put on a show, I thought. Yeah, he's been in a good run of form. Like... Uh, the past three to five games, he's been really good. Um, and this is, I remember having the same conversation last year where not, and we, we probably had the same conversation with several players. We've had the conversation <laughs> about Kroos, I remember, um, of just the fact that, oh, look, it's April, it's May. These players that we criticize are peaking. Um, that's that's good timing. <laughs> it um, is. Kroos so, also looked great in this game, I thought. Yeah, Kroos was, and Kroos has been good for a few string, free string of games uh, as well now. So I 
I had a, a <laughs> I had a few doubts um, when Casemiro was benched. Was it against Juve in the first half, and then he came on? I think. Yeah. Something um, like that. I had a few doubts. I said maybe maybe he starts. He he's not part of the Once to the Gallon anymore. Although, what is the Once to the Gallon anymore? Who who knows? But. Um, the only part me, of the Onsega that we really even have as a certainty is the back four and then Kroos and Modric and that's and, and, Cristiano, and Cristiano and that's basically it. Yeah, agreed. Um, I I I'd be really shocked if Zidane drops Casemiro at this point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he was he was great in in, in the role that he played in this match too. He also uh, showed some press resistance, which is always good. But I mean, what to me, what was really outstanding that he did. Um, was like I said, just dropping back, but being one of the outlets in a press, but like not being the first choice to anyone so much. When he would get the ball, he would move it quickly. Like he didn't try to mess around with it. I, I think that having a cool head and playing that role is is actually a great. And then being so like incredibly strong on defense is is going to be crucial for Madrid against Liverpool. Like I'm, I'm, wor- I'm terrified of this match. Like I, I, I think Liverpool is a terrifying team in a one-off like this. But well, look where Casemiro was. Look at, look at the past maps and look at the heat maps. He's actually played like an anchor. Like that's, yeah, like that's actually where he an is. anchor. So good. <laughs> he should so be. just leave him there. Don't mess with. Yeah, him. don't mess with that. Don't, don't send play- other players forward, and and definitely don't send them forward when Modric and Kroos are running high up the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have many more notes from this game other than to say that one of the articles in the aftermath of the Villarreal coming back from from 2-0 down to to draw and get a point neither of these ga- this game didn't matter to either team it wouldn't it really didn't so you could tell that but they they still played hard and and one of the articles was talking about how this showed that Madrid are not infallible and not unbeatable and that they shouldn't be overconfident and I was like you know what that is exactly the message that this team should have going perfect. into the yeah. final. Like, it's perfect. More like, underdog to... stuff, please. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they need to be like told over and over again that like leads aren't safe. You need to play defense all the time. Like this is a Liverpool team that can that can turn around a game in seconds, basically. So be on the whole game. The only other notes that I had before we move on to the questions, I guess. Um I think I think Isco was was quite good. Like we, you know, we should I guess mention Bale's goal was quite brilliant. Like oh, it was an individual brilliant moment, of brilliance. Um, Marcelo, an outrageous touch and and cross for the second goal. <laughs> it was unacceptably yeah. awesome. He was also arguably the most dangerous player in the first half. I thought. Um, yeah. A lot went through him. Isco was well, like kind of more of, more of a right sided figure, roaming centrally and also on the right side. And at times, him and Bale were interchangeable, yep. but he was also good. Um, we already mentioned Casemiro and Kroos. We already mentioned Villarreal and some of their players. I thought it was also a strong game from Carvajal. I thought he was really good in this match. He uh, he showed everything that I wanted to see, which is that he is kind of peaking in his physicality. He's peaking in his... I mean, he, he looked good when he had the ball. He looked incredibly good in physical confrontations with people. I thought he was great. There were a couple of moments where he got called for a foul that I didn't really think was a foul, but it was because he was basically bodying people. And for someone coming back from an injury in such a crucial position, in such a big deal match leading up to this final, he's so crucial for Madrid. This was a huge match for me for Carvajal. It was it was crucial that he did what he did, and he did it well. I have a feeling that he's going to have a very eventful match in Kiev, and I think... <laughs> 
I think yeah. him and Mane are gonna be one of those. You know, like Carvajal always has one guy. He's always like, it's like the duel of the match somehow. He, he's yeah. it's like him versus somebody. I think it's gonna be him and Sadio Mane in this game. I think he'll have his hands full. But he's gonna have his hands full. Yeah. But luckily, he has Rafa Varane, who's crazy fast in behind him. So if he gets if he gets overcome by Mane's speed, because I think Carvajal yeah. is actually better physically and probably. A you know a better pure defender than than Mane is a pure attacker. Mane is fucking fast. He's fast, so, and he works really hard defensively. Yeah, really hard. So yeah. Carvalho uh, is going to need to um, realize that and, and plan his defensive strategy for that. And Baran is going to gotta gotta get ready and make sure that his his legs are ready for this because he's going to be sprinting. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, there's Liverpool questions too, and I have some yeah. notes. We'll, we'll get to them. Yeah, and and so I before we move on, we did want to mention that uh, Keon is doing a preview podcast with the Anfield Wrap, the Liverpool blog, to just talk about the final, about tactics. If you're a patron. Uh, you will get access to that show. Otherwise, you won't. That is a patron show for the middle of the week. Um, it's a big. It's going to be a great show. Uh, and remember also that if you toss us five dollars a month, you will get your question answered uh, uh, by default in all of our shows. But you will get access to all patron-only content like this podcast that's coming up, and you will get um, your question answered in every show if you send one in. Um, so that is just FYI for everyone. Um, I don't have any more to say about the VRL match if you want to go to questions. Yeah, let's, let's move to questions. I think, well, there'll be some that'll, you know, bring up some of the VRL stuff we didn't talk about and and other things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Anthony, I'm I'm just, you know, just to, to reinforce this, if you're a patron, you toss us five bucks a month. We promise that we will answer your question on every show. So that is how that works. If you do $3 a month and up, um, you get access to all of our back catalog of patron content, all of it going forward. Um, and then we have more rewards that we'll talk about at the end of the show um, for people who toss us a little bit more. All right. Anthony Vasquez asked us, um, was this game, the Villarreal match, um, this starting 11, a glimpse of next week's starting 11 um, or crunch time lineup? Obviously with Navas instead of Luka Zidane. Possibly, but who knows? Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen in terms of his lineup. I just don't. The next the next question kind of ties into it. Might as well be both of them at once. Um, so Joao dos Santos asked us, um, does the fact that Asensio didn't play versus Villarreal uh, make it more likely that he will play against Liverpool? Well, I don't know. Possibly, don't know. but who knows? Yeah, it's the same answer. I don't know. I don't know. I will I say that I, I did feel there was a bit of a vibe to this game where it did feel like a test run. Yeah, um, it did. But that it's, first half. Yeah, the first half. And Asensio ju- does generally have a history of coming up the bench and changing the game. So maybe that's something that continues. I think it's going to be hard to justify benching this a bail, a bail, Gareth Bale who's this in form right now. Or Isco. So I think that leaves Asensio to come yeah. off the bench, to be honest. Yeah. 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 And likely, it, I mean, I I get playing Benzema, but I I also think that this lineup could you know leave Benzema off the on the bench also. So I, but I don't know, I don't know. He could roll out a lineup with Benzema and Asensio. <laughs> wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me because nothing would shock me at this point with Zidane. I I actually, yeah, we we've been watching so many of his matches and his big games over the years, and at this point, I have no idea. I just don't. So <laughs> if I had, if someone put a gun to my head and said you have to pick a lineup, I would pick 
uh, I would pick what we saw in Villarreal minus yeah. Lu- Luca Zidane. I'd also be prepared to to die with that bullet because I yeah. I would not be surprised to be dead. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I would not be sure. like yeah. Uh, gun of gun to your head. Uh, which lineup? I would choose that one as well. But it also wouldn't shock me when the gun went off because it was something else. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I did want to mention Luca just because um, he had a couple of cool, good saves. I don't think he is super highly regarded as a prospect, at least at the Real Madrid level. But um, I thought he did fine in this match. He is clearly good at being a distributor out of the back. So that at least is something that's um, that's worth following. But I don't see him as, just to anyone who's interested, I don't see him as a long-term solution for Real Madrid. But it was kind of cool to see him. I'd be very surprised. But yeah, it was cool. I mean, I guess, I to me, there's there are there are goalkeepers in Castilla who, based on merit, should be there before Lucas Zidane. Um, and it will be cool for them to experience it as well. But uh, you know, I'm kind of done dying on this. I'm on this hill and I'm dead. I don't care. Yeah, Yeah. I don't care. Don't care. Um, (laughs) This is not a hill either of us will die on. Um, All right. So Sajid Riaz asks us a quite a long question. Um, I uh, a few questions, but we're going to try to condense them, Sajid. I'm sorry because you know again we have time issues. So. Bail the striker is the title of the question. So um, I have the following observations uh, for the final. One, I think playing Casemiro in the finals is a must. Because while it's nice to think that he can, ju- we can just play Kroos and Modric in the middle and control possession, we will have spells in the game without the ball, and Zizou is also comfortable absorbing pressure. Uh, hence, we need a midfielder who can tackle and also have a, quote, third center back. Yeah, all right. So I agree basically with that premise. I think that especially Casemiro, who's in such good form, is is not going to be benched. And regardless of how we think another lineup could do similar stuff, I, I agree. I think Casemiro's there. I think he yeah. has to be there. I also think that it wouldn't hurt to have more aerial presence on set pieces to make sure Van Dyke doesn't get his head on every single set piece. So he also, Sajid also says... Um, Relating to my last question about the ideal position of Bale, I didn't. Oh, I see. It must have been from like last week. Um, yeah. uh, he asked a question quite, about Bale, the striker. Yeah. Matt and I uh, addressed it, but I think Sajid really wants to to test us here. He's he's going. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, going. I love on it. Let's go yeah. and do it more. Do this more. Um, you guys didn't quite address my concerns, especially on his limitations when playing against a low block when the tempo is slower. Um, I urge you guys to watch him when he plays against a team that parks the bus, uh, not a team with a high line. In this, in these situations, he looks very uncomfortable when receiving a pass, has a heavy touch that receives the ball with a sideward stance and always passes the ball sideways. And more worryingly, he makes a lot of loose passes in this situation. Um, we can't afford that um, as Liverpool's strategy will be to dispossess and break. Um and then he mentions the fa- fact that Bale has passing accuracy of 82%, which is just 1% more than uh, CR7, who's our main goal scorer, and less than Casemiro, who's at 90%, Asensio 90, Isco 89, Modric and Kroos 92, and Vasquez 87. Um, so, yeah, those are all – I think this is a good point too, um, but I don't think – the thing is, I don't think Liverpool is going to have a super low block. I just – I don't think that's their game. Well, the the bail passing stuff. I mean, him and Ronaldo generally have the least amount of touches. They also 
have the least amount of passing accuracy generally. It's just the nature of the way they play. So here's that, you know, that was what I was going to bring up is that are Liverpool really going to play in a low block? Do we, their, their style of play is very much so retain the, the ball high up the pitch um, and press. And if, if you're not, they're not going to, they're not like their definition of a low block is it's nothing compared to like a, for example, Atletico Madrid low block. Uh, Liverpool's it's it, they have a much different scheme they play with defensively, and let's say let's go back to the Barca game for example the the latest Clasico at the Camp Nou. Barca definitely had moments in that game where they counterpressed, they made us uncomfortable, they stole the ball. There were also moments where they overcommitted and they they just couldn't. And Real Madrid got past the press, and Bale had all this space to work with. And Zidane says this will be an open game. He said that in a press conference. And I believe him because I think Zidane is 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 a crazy um, <laughs> is a crazy like kamikaze, just gung ho like he really does enjoy giving us heart attacks. And he really you know to me I think I really think he believes an open game suits him because and you know why wouldn't he like if he knows he's he? going right. to concede why wouldn't he? he why wouldn't he if he could, if he knows he's going he might concede three goals but score five that that's just that's just his style and I wrote about how he as a player just just loved the. The pace of an open game where Real Madrid attacked and overpowered opponents because they were just better offensively, like just just straight up. So I think that opportunity of of open space, open water, and getting past the press, that's where Bale comes in, and that that's why I don't think it's going to be a traditional low block that you might think it will be. Um, and also, we Matt and I talked about this a bit defensively too, especially in a game where. You have Sadio Mane and Robertson on the flanks, who it's a really good kind of two-way presence on both flanks. Then on the opposite flank, you have Arnold and Salah, who Salah is out of the front three. He has the least amount of defensive duties, and he kind of, like if Liverpool are, are pinned deep, he'll stay a bit higher up the page as an outlet. Uh, and you saw that against City, especially in the first leg. But I think you saw how many times Bale even helped defensively in the Camp Nou. Um, and that was yeah. that was really important. So I think Bale's the way Bale will play in this game is going to be a lot different, um, and he's going to bring a lot to the table if he starts. Yeah. And you know, those are the reasons why. Uh, this actually kind of ties into Manasvi Mishra's question, which is, um, what's Liverpool's weakness, and how can we counter it? I think you mean exploit it, um, but. I think it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So what? What do you, Keon? I mean, this is maybe a question for the Liverpool guys. And um, but I mean, my when I look at that side, I see a terrifying press uh, with a team that can execute when they get the ball because they have you know an incredible player having a, t- a t- you know best ever season t- type of season in Salah and. Uh, a Benzema-like, young Benzema-like striker and Firmino and, and then Sadio Mane, who's quite fast um, and uh, and really helpful on defense. I I think their weakness, though, as we've already discussed, Keon, is that they actually – so they brought in Virgil van Dijk, who is um, um, uh, a very strong defender. But even one – like adding one good defender to a uh, – I think a middle of the park generally and then def- defense that – can be can be uh, sliced open. It's not it's not it's a band aid for a bigger wound, and I think Madrid just has to realize that there is going to be space to exploit and attack Liverpool because I just don't see 
I, I, I don't see how you can avoid space when you do a high press. Like the, if you can break a high press, you're going to have space. And that's Liverpool's weakness to me. That is one of them. I think and I've had, I've been able to watch Liverpool a lot this season. And, uh, I'm writing a huge article to kind of pre two two pretty big articles, one for four four two, one for managing Madrid, both to preview the the final and a good chunk of it is is it about Liverpool's weaknesses and I'm still going through it and kind of watching film. But you mentioned that one of the things that I noted against Chelsea is that Chelsea just gave them the ball and um, I'm not sure Liverpool like to dominate possession because. The more possession they have, the less space they have generally as a rule of thumb because you're trying to find openings and um, your use of a counter-attack in space is is nullified in that situation. So Chelsea kind of just had fun with it. Like, here, you have to have the ball, we'll defend. And um, one of the things that Liverpool had trouble coping with was Chelsea would make these off-ball runs in the half space. And Sesk in particular got in a couple times and Liverpool just had no idea he was there. And and those are the kind of off-ball movements that resulted in, uh, for example, our third goal in Cardiff last season where Modric runs to the flank right. and crosses to Ronaldo. And Great, beautiful goal. I'm timeless, still timeless, obsessed with that goal. <laughs> um, set pieces, they've been kind of shaky. Um, in the past season or so, they've been... That's been one of their their weaknesses is defending set pieces against Roma, especially in the first leg. They were just they just had no answer for Roma. They, Roma didn't score, but they got on the end of like every corner and every free kick. Right. Um, that has also it's gotten better since Van Dyke came because he's he's a strong aerial presence. But um, that is something to keep an eye on. So that's like another reason. Like if Bale, Bale, Ronaldo, Casemiro, Ramos, Varane, these guys are on the end of corners. I think they'll have good opportunities. Um. Yeah, I don't know. They're they have they have flaws. They're not this like invincible right. team for sure. There's there's space to exploit behind their press. Um, and as Madrid knows, um, Madrid is an invincible team. It's giving a fun game. I'm I'm genuinely, genuinely nervous about it, Gian. Yeah. But you know how can you not be? Yeah. Um. So let's go on. I'm trying to find just more questions. <laughs> game because we have a number of kind of not off topic exactly but just different um questions that uh that don't relate to the game by the way um Pravish Jain I I um I hope we answered your question with the uh with the EuroLeague stuff at the beginning um Edward Morales I think is the one to, to read now um so Edward Morales asks us um I believe the starting lineup for the final will be similar to the tactics and formation we use versus Celta Ronaldo will take the place of Benzema 4-1-4-1 Bale will start in our obvious defensive lineup, Marcelo Barran, Ramos, and Carvajal. I am a bit worried that without Benzema, Ronaldo will be isolated, but I feel it's important for Bale and Isco to start. Bale can contribute on defense and offense, and I, I think his piece will be important against Liverpool's speedy attack. I would like to see what the BBC could do in a game like this, but I feel Casemiro is the important anchor. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm struggling to see actually, which player do you think is more important to the overall flow of our game, Benzema or Casemiro? Um, that is a fascinating conspira- uh, comparison, <laughs> one that I, I genuinely hadn't thought about ever. Uh, um, what do you think, Jan? Well, flow kind of generally implies offensive buildup, right? Yeah. Does right? Yeah, it's got to be. That's. I mean, if that's the question, then I think we have our answer. Yeah, 
But um, in terms of overall, like, ability to play against, say, a very speedy and physical team that, that uses the break a lot, Casemiro is probably more important than Benzema in that match. Probably. Um, I, You know, this question of if, if Benzema doesn't start, will Ronaldo be able to excel? I think the answer is yes. I mean, I also wouldn't put past Zidane to... If if he feels Ronaldo is just crazy isolated in this game, then he'll probably make a change at halftime. Like if it's that, yeah, if it, if it requires that dramatic of a of an adjustment, then he'll just bring in Benzema for somebody at halftime. But I think I also think that while Benzema does a lot of great things for Ronaldo and creating space for him, Isco and Bale have historically been able to feed Ronaldo the ball quite yeah. quite admirably. I mean, look at this game against Villarreal, right? Like if you see. Uh, I mean, Marcelo got this incredible assist, but that's the type of thing that I mean. Ronaldo was playing; had a great. I thought had a really strong half, finding lots of space, being physical, and and obviously, this perfectly executed goal, which he read could not have read better, and obviously was delivered a perfect pass. But he had five shots in the sixteen minutes. Right, he still is going to get his even in a game without Benzema. I think you're right to worry about it, but. One thing I saw in this game that I think could be a preview also, Ronaldo dropping deeper to defend and then breaking with the team. Instead of being the guy at the top always, he he, he was coming back to try to break up play for uh, and get the ball back, which I like the idea of a team, like all 10 players defending, or all 11 players plus the 10 players plus the keeper defending and, and trying to win the ball back. And I saw that a couple times from him. So it, it meant to me that he would be a little bit less isolated up top. You might need to have moments like that. I mean, I'm not saying you you would ask Ronaldo to do that all game because you want to conserve his energy um, to score, basically, and be an offensive threat. But in order to get some kind of numerical superiority and, and kind of build your way up, Liverpool are going to are going to be able to close space really well. And Firmino generally drops back sometimes as like a deep midfielder to do defensive work. So they're going to have yeah. numbers. So you may need to do that stuff like throughout the game. I'm not saying you do it all game, but there's definitely going to be moments where Ronaldo, I think, will have to drop back a little bit. Especially without Benzema, because Benzema is typically the guy who does that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Let's um let's do some a little bit off topic. Um, this is a funny. I like this one's funny. Um, so we're gonna do a little bit of transfer stuff. Just 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 a tad, um, because uh, not. I mean, this is not time to do transfer shit yet. <laughs> but I think Ryan um, Ryan Jones notes. Um, given our players are in the final of the Saturday uh, in the in the Champions League final next Saturday, in hopes of winning our third straight Champions League title, I figured I'd be a true Madridista and turn our attention to the players we can bring in this summer to replace their sorry asses. LOL. <laughs> that is pretty funny i I'm, I'm i'm in i like that um jokes aside i understand we have no way of really knowing who's coming in but i would like your opinion on the following players and if you feel they are realistic or desired transfer targets from uh from an on the field standpoint i also rest le- uh, left reasons why i think they'd be good signings all right do you want to go just go through these quickly Kian? okay let's let's start let's just go through them so first all one right. was neymar neymar um, he says, top three player in the world when healthy who's entering his prime. Possible heir apparent to Cristiano that can play all over the front line and has a style of play to help with scoring while linking up with others. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, all right. So he's he's asking whether they're realistic. I think they're Neymar is one hundred percent desired. I think Madrid is trying to make the move for him, but I don't know how realistic that is. His the team that that owns his contract is owned by the Qatari government that has essentially a limited amount of money, and it's they don't need a hundred like two hundred million euros from Real Madrid. There's no need there, and there's no release clause to execute. The only way this happens is if Neymar makes a huge fuss. I think. That's all true. And I think in a vacuum, you take his talent. Um, the questions basically is that is the base. The question here is, are you ready to to take on Neymar with all the baggage? Because you're not just getting Neymar. You're getting his you're getting his dad. You're getting a, a, and you're a, getting him after he he freaked out at PSG. Right. Like the only way this happens is if he, he throws an absolute fit at PSG. So you're getting a Neymar who's you know, probably coming off a. a you know, uh, an angry yelling spree that left him even, like even less popular among certain circles than he is now. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're uh, also getting an imbalanced wage structure, um, like crazy imbalance. Yeah. Hugely imbalanced because you'd have to match his wages. Yeah. Um, I guess the, 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 those are the cons. The pros are that he is an unbelievable talent and you rip up, you rip out the hearts of Barcelona fans at the same time. Yep. You um, you possibly get some ease with transition with Ronaldo after he retires because as we know when Ronaldo retires there is no replacement because it uh, the Ronaldo replacement doesn't exist in on earth. So what's the right, next best thing right. if you need a top 3 to 5 player which is like someone like in the Salah um KDB Neymar mold. Yes, yeah. I agree. Um and that shout out to Ignacio Lobregat who asked a or uh, who has a similar point um he says that uh, it's. I don't think Real Madrid should splurge for the cash for Neymar this summer. I feel like the past few seasons, um, Real Madrid has been a bit smarter when uh, buying players at good, almost steal prices. Kovacic, Asensio, Ceballos, etc. They should just continue this approach and use the money to acquire less expensive but just as effective. There's not going to be someone less expensive but just as effective. Just FYI, <clears throat> as the Neymar. Like that's the whole point of that. Like why Neymar is that expensive? But he's saying that. Uh, Pulisic, Kane, or positions we need like a GK or backup striker. So I had a long conversation with Evan yesterday about the market for Christian Pulisic. He's a, he is uh, 19 years old, American. Um, Still only 19, eh? He feels like he's been yeah. around forever. Right, and he starts for Borussia Dortmund, and the rumor is that the price on him is only $40 million, which is – to me, at this market, with the talent at 19 years old, it's it's kind of a steal. Um, but the problem is that Madrid really don't need Pulisic. Like there are, I don't think. Um, no, I think if, you, if you're going to get someone in that mold, you're basically, I guess, getting them compete with Asensio. You know, in that like right. That and that's all. So you might as well would, go big or go home. So I I believe in this idea of continuity and being very pragmatic with your signings. And I've, I've been a really big fan of it. I I also believe at some point you do have to spend and like um we can we can kind of talk about this fairy tale all we want but in the end you need a you need a Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, every I mean that, right it, now Ronaldo was a bargain really like when you think about it in hindsight. Well, right, because there's only one of him, right? And like that's the whole point. Like the reason Ronaldo and Messi are basically bargains at the price that they're being that they that that they're being paid is that there's only them. <laughs> you when these players are done, it's going to be a very sad day. But until then, they really 
they really are better than everyone else, and it's not that close even. <laughs> Other players can come close in a year-by-year basis, but like call I mean, like I love Salah, I love Neymar, but neither of them has shown consistently to me that they are even close to coming to, to breaking down this in a year-to-year. No, like, no. There's no track record. No. Um, so the second one Ryan says is, um, let's see, the Gea, best keeper in the world, who's also entering his prime. Yeah. Um, I love De Gea. He's he is the best keeper in the world. I think. Uh, I I don't. I mean, the 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 problem is that again, he's owned by not by people who have an unlimited amount of money. That's the Glazer family, uh, Manchester United, but by his by a team that really values him, and also do, feels that Real Madrid should be one of their direct rivals. Doesn't want to send him to us. The only way this happens is if De Gea basically makes a huge fuss, just like Neymar. And we've seen it happen when De Gea, we asked they had to make a bit of a fuss to allow this transfer to go through, and he didn't. And that's part of why it took such a long time to make a deal with Manchester United that ended up losing out on De Gea when the fax machine issue happened. Yeah. Well, if the if the question is, the statement is De Gea, best keeper in the world, who's also entering his prime, I agree with that statement. So. Yeah. It, yeah, I, yeah. 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 I would love to have De Gea. I, I don't. I think he's desired desperately. I think that you're right about that. That he, for political reasons, uh, him being Madrid and Spain number one doesn't hurt. Yeah, I think Florentino loves him, wants him. Um, but uh, again, I don't, I'm not sure how super reasonable and likely that is. Um, Conte, the best holding midfielder in the game. He has the ability to defend and start attacks from the backs. No exaggeration. The only player I see with the potential to be as good as Makelele. I, I um. I don't want to go into this, but there's no chance in the world Madrid will go at Conte at this point, I think, because I think Madrid sees Casemiro as at least as good as Conte. Um, even if that's not true, I think that Madrid, you know, the, I mean, Casemiro has been the holding midfielder for Madrid for the last, you know, few years when things have gone pretty well for Madrid. So I don't, I don't see any desire by Real Madrid to go get Conte. I'm a huge believer in Angolo Kante. Big yeah, fan of him, what he does, what he brings to the table. Those um, photos when he was a little kid playing like up a couple of years when he was like the smallest dude on the pitch. That's oh, it's so amazing. Cool. I had a, I had the privilege of writing a huge story about his childhood for 442 and I I learned so much about him and I kind of just fell in love with him. Um, just uh, also How just can you not? I mean, yeah, just him not? as a human being. Like it's just a really cool story. And so um uh, having said that, you're right. I don't think it's a realistic option. I think, you know, at this point, it's also far from our most urgent need. I'm, I'm not definitely, I'm not, I'm, you know me, I'm for, for a year or two now, I've been in the camp that, that thinks Casemiro is definitely upgradable. Um, yeah, but I, de- I definitely don't think the club sees this as an urgent need at all. No, right. Um, and the last one is Alaba, um, and he says, Swiss Army Knight, that's pretty good, who can play all over the back line and even in midfield and in emergencies. Given our back line is prone to injuries and suspensions and Zidane's fondness for rotations, uh, he will definitely get games. Also very experienced, but still young enough at 25 to become the future starter at left back um, as Marcelo ages. Marcelo is aging. He is almost, I think he's 30 now, and it feels like he's been at Madrid forever. He's amazing. Um yeah, I think it's the same thing with Kante. I think you're not wrong. I love Alaba. He was young, etc. Um, I think Madrid eyed him a couple of times, but just kind of got you know barked off by Bayern. Um, I don't think there's. I don't think. I don't see this happening. 
I this this I don't think there's desire on part of Real Madrid right now to get Alaba. I don't either. I think it would be a good signing. Last year we talked about how good it would be a yeah. good signing because of his versatility and the fact that we didn't yep. have a good backup left back and or a good backup for Casemiro. So he's a great signing. I think he I think would he would be, be a, a very yeah. I think he would be a good signing. I think his if you I guess if you asked me this in the winter time, be interesting to see what I would have thought, but. Because he wasn't having a great year, um, but when Heinkes came in, he totally kind of rejuvenated Alaba again into playing a pretty not back to his best, but he's kind of getting back there. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm not opposed to the signing. I think it would be a good signing, mostly because of his versatility. Um, I guess you'd have to ask, would he be willing to come and yeah. and play in a role where he wouldn't be a guaranteed starter? I think you have to, and he would have to understand like what Madrid philosophy is and, and whatnot on that. But um, I like him a lot. All right, next um, off-topic question from um, one of our guaranteed patrons, our friend uh, Chris McCormick asks us. And so, Kian, I'm I'm gonna lean on you a little bit because I've seen this game. But um, he Chris asks um, <clears throat> completely unrelated question to the current Real Madrid. But La Liga is dead rubber, so it's a good time to ask these questions. On the advice of the recent Churrosi Tacticas podcast, I watched Madrid's 5-0 win over Barcelona in the Clásico. One of the most striking parts of that match was how good Michael, uh, Michael Laudrup was. He par- practically set up all three of Ivan Zamorano's first half hat-trick and dominated that Barcelona side. If you have seen that game, um, or even better, seen a lot of Lazarup at, at, at Madrid, do you think he's one of those underrated players that we should talk about more? I love this question. I love yeah. the fact that Michael Laudrup is brought up here. Um, he is, to me, I, I don't know if I've even mentioned this or if I have. It's been very sporadic and rare because it just doesn't come up. But to me, he's one of the most perfect aesthetic footballers I've ever seen. <laughs> like his, he is incredible. The, his elegance, like we talk about Zidane, the way Laudrup dribbles is is so spectacular. And so just the way he shifts his body, the feints, the shoulder drops, just just incredible. Um and he is also very underrated historically. He's, to, he's definitely one of the best central midfielders I've ever played the game. Um, or attacking midfielder, however you ever classify someone like him or, or Zidane. I, that game against the 5-0 was, um, that was definitely like one of Laudrup's peak performances. I guess Laudrup's problem is, it's, there's no question that he is a legend. It's that um, his Real Madrid career was very brief. So you can't really classify him classify him as a Real Madrid legend um yes I agree with that you know so because he was only here for a couple seasons at most I don't even know if he played the full two seasons he may have but um you know he spent the majority of his career at Barca and and Juve and but mostly at Barca that which is where he's going to be known for but he was he was spectacular um just an amazing player like if I would encourage encourage you Christopher to just do a deep dive on Laudrup uh in more matches um, look him up. Look up more of his comps and, and stuff because he was he was breathtaking. He was. Um, I'm looking at this. He played from 1994 to 96, 62 appearances with Real Madrid, after 167 with Barcelona. Although shockingly, I mean, the stats seem to indicate to me that his time with Real Madrid was his best in terms of goal scoring. 
in his career other than when he was at before he really kind of burst onto the scene in the early 80s like 62 games 12 goals that's actually better than 167 games 40 goals that he had for Barca and uh 102 games 16 goals he had for Juve in the 80s I mean actually he was very productive at Real Madrid uh in the 90s so yeah he was at a very high level with Real Madrid he was was, playing really well just that he he didn't have the longevity I think yeah, he's not a Real Madrid legend, guys. I'm sorry. He rules, though. You should watch him more. Um, and it's cool that he's one of those Barca to Madrid players, the opposite of uh, Luis Enrique or someone, right? Um, okay. Um, let's see. There's one last – I think one last question that I wanted to get to, which is quickly um, to just say, Pravesh, um, the uh, Eurobasket EuroLeague is awesome. It's wonderful. You should check it out. But it is not – okay, it's not – the NBA. It's nothing like the NBA. Real Madrid basketball would lose to the NBA any almost any NBA team, I think. Hold on. I think I think I'd be curious to know how they'd hold up against like the Nets. With the really, really tanking bad teams. Yeah. Right. The Suns, the Nets. Right. Whoever else is really bad. Um the saddest thing about the Nets, they weren't even trying to tank because they're no. <laughs> they didn't have their pick. But uh yeah, they he says basically is this, is this as big a deal as the NBA? The answer is no. How does our basketball team rate amongst the best in the world? I, I would be, you're right. I think it'd be interesting to see how they played against some of the worst NBA teams. But I don't think, I mean, they would get run off the court by basically every NBA Most teams. team. Most yeah. teams. I mean, c- consider the fact that the NBA drafts players from this league. And yeah, Ramjur, that's, the, I think, the crucial thing. Yeah, and the only Ramjo player that would even have a chance at this stage would be Luka Doncic. Uh, who, and it's only because he's 19 and he's on another level. But everyone else there are just former NBA players who, who just couldn't make it in the NBA at this point in their careers. And uh, it, it's right. it's a step higher than NCAA. Though. That's why I think Luca has a has a head start, or at least that people should think that Luca has a head start. But I think he might slip unless the Suns take him at one. That's where I think I would do. I mean. I would lo- I would lock him down, man. He looks he's an incredible player. I don't think there's anyone in this draft that really compares to him in terms of like he could come on to. He's I mean, imagine if Doncic was on the Cavs right now. I think it'd be a totally different look for their team. They'd be better. <laughs> like uh, he would better a championship contending team. That's how good he is. So well, he has he has yeah. the the luxury. I guess it's a luxury if the, of playing with much older players. Like Real Madrid is a bunch of older players. Whereas That's, kids coming from the NCAA, like they just don't have that that perspective. So I don't. I'm. I think that helps them. I don't know, just to be around those older players, yeah, yeah. And, and also like he has that leadership role even with with his age. With and you're those playing players. against. I mean, like these players were drafted in the NBA to go to the NBA from the NCAA. Remember, so <laughs> it's not like. Yeah. Yeah, they were the best. Anthony Randolph was one of the best talents in the country when he was drafted. Gustavo Ayon, like there are other people, and like uh, uh, Jose Fernandez. Like these are these are you know real players who you know were better. Anyways, last question that I wanted to just quickly get to uh, Ignacio Lobregat's second question about um, how much of La Liga uh, do you guys think comes down to luck? I would we been a little luckier and better with our chances. La Liga would have been closer. Um, it would have been closer. I don't think Madrid wins this Liga. I mean, again, Barcelona almost went undefeated this season. So it's going to be hard to 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 win a league against that level of play. And also, obviously, luck. I mean, for a lot of the season, own goal was Barcelona's second best scorer. Um, 
and Madrid didn't get that luxury at all. <laughs> I mean, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that I think Barca still uh, wins this Liga, um, but maybe this Copa del Rey. I mean, I don't know. I, I Kian, I mean, how much how much do you think we can blame some of the like objectively bad luck Madrid had in the beginning of the season for the way this Liga went? Uh, I don't really buy into this stuff only because I really yeah. am a firm believer that champions will just create their own luck and. If you're good enough, then things will normalize, whether you're lucky in some games and unlucky in other games. So um, I thought, you know, I guess I'll preface it, preface it by saying also that is there any team that doesn't get luck during any tournament? Barcelona got a ton of luck, if you ask me. Um, but that's not a, a slight on them because they, they also deserve to win the title. Um, yeah, whether I, it's been games against Sevilla, away to Sevilla, Salta, um, I don't know, Betis, other teams that they just they just got away with not playing well at all and, and their opposing team missing chances. Um, but also Real Madrid last season was just like 18 million points won by last second headers and yeah. last second goals. So I, but what I, I are also, we supposed to do with that? Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I also believe that over the course of 20 games, the better team just will win. And tends to have the, the yeah. luck. like, And like luck tends to balance out. Um, I would totally take all of Barcelona's luck in this. The, even like everything that went wrong for Madrid at the beginning of the season, if the soccer gods want to correct that, just give it to us all like in the in this last match against Liverpool. That's the only thing that matters to me this season. Just give it to us then. <laughs> like I don't care about the other stuff. So um yeah, I um I think that's a I think that's a cool place to wrap it up. I mean, Ignacio mentions that uh, he's hoping that by this time next week we'll have smiles on our faces and hoarse voices. Thanks for the coverage and the podcast this season, guys. Made my patron experience better. A la Madrid. Thank you, Ignacio. Thank, Thank you. you to all of our awesome patrons. Uh, just to preview for this week, because obviously it's a huge week. We're playing a third straight Champions League final, which I think all of this has taken years off of my life based on how much stress I've been going into these matches. But we have a ton of awesome content for you guys coming up. Kian, uh, as you said, you have two big pieces you're publishing. You're talking about Liverpool. We're breaking down Liverpool um, with Liverpool. Um, we're going to break down both sides' tactics on Wednesday. Keon will be talking with uh, the Anfield Wrap. Uh, and then if you guys want, and just let us know, we it's possible we will do a patron-only show on Friday night just to answer your last questions before the match. And then obviously we're going to do our show after the game, regardless of outcome. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's where we are. Um, the... Anfield Wrap, the following podcast, will be patron-only. So if you're listening to this and you feel like, hey, check it out, maybe this is a good time to jump on this awesome bandwagon, yeah, jump on. We would love to have you. Our patrons are amazing and allow us to keep doing this. And uh, and, and genuinely, you all make it more fun. <laughs> so thank you all so much. Keon, do you have anything else you would like to plug? Did I miss anything? Uh, p- patron shout-outs. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So as you all know, if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to all our amazing patrons. Shout-out to these specific patrons who pledge $10 or more. Nick DeStefane, Frederick Sundros, Leon Savernakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Shea Khatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, 
Selvin Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, Anthony Vasquez, and Daniel Smith. Woo! Thank you so much, you. you all. You're amazing. I cannot wait. Yeah, this is going to be a really exciting week. Um, don't like have a heart attack because I might. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to take some aspirin every day just so my heart is nice and the uh, blood is pumping through it. <laughs> so I don't die during this final. So, Kian, I will speak to you again soon. Everyone check out the upcoming week because it's going to be filled with awesome Managing Madrid stuff. And uh, I can't wait to listen to all that. So, Kian, um, I guess we'll talk uh, <laughs> We'll talk on Saturday, buddy. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.